Well, as you know, we're pausing our study in 2 Corinthians for just uh, a few weeks during the Christmas season to celebrate really the wonder of the Incarnation. I'm going to start kind of with the end and just as an introduction, just talk about the ironic blessing. Christ came and he fulfilled all the promises throughout all of history from Adam and Eve in the garden and the promised seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. And then every covenant promise since fulfilled by Christ. But even the ironic blessing, if you haven't thought about it, the Lord bless you and keep you. None of us can be kept. None of us can be blessed apart from Christ. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The sending, God sending his own son to earth was the ultimate act of grace. To sacrifice his son for us was grace. And he shined his face upon us, really, in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul said, we see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Turn his countenance toward you and give you peace. When he sent his son to the earth, he truly turned his countenance in the face of Jesus toward us. People who were once in darkness had seen a great light. And this peace that we have, this shalom, is only possible in Christ. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing that Christ came to the earth. This turning of God's face toward each one of us, toward the world. And the first people that he turned his face toward in this way were some poor shepherds. We're going to talk about that. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. It's Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. This is the holy word of God. It's inspired and inerrant. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying, that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at the shepherds, what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Amen. Please be seated. 
Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, what a wonderful word. What a wonderful account of the announcement and the birth of your Son. May you give us just a glimmer of the same joy. Just a a fraction of the glory. May we see it as the shepherds did. And realize what a wonderful thing. What a beautiful part of history this was. May it change our, our lives. May your Holy Spirit do his work among us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're just going to walk through the text uh, verse by verse. Uh, we'll see some despised people, despised shepherds. We'll see a glorious angel. We'll see some good and great news. And we'll see the heavenly host. Those four things, I believe, are important for our morning study, our sermon. First, let's look at the despised shepherds. Reminded me of really military promotion ceremonies in a way. Um, And really, it it kind of also reminds me of like a president, uh, a hopeful president announcing his candidacy or something. You want the highest ranking people in the land to be there. I remember this, this normal officer who retired and he somehow was connected to a three star general. The guy didn't know him that well, but agreed to come and officiate his retirement ceremony. And he was so proud that this three-star general was there officiating his ceremony. And he invited a bunch of really important people who also came because the general was there. So the, the crowd was filled with all of these important dignitaries to talk about his career and bring him into retirement. He was so excited. So proud. The rest of us were kind of laughing. Well, Luke tells us that the people to whom God first revealed the most important news ever in the history of the universe, the coming of God's own Son, were not really important at all. They weren't dignitaries. It wasn't the king. It wasn't Caesar. It wasn't the high priest, it wasn't the Sanhedrin, it wasn't the council, it was, wasn't the rich of the land. It was none of that. It, were, it was these poor shepherds, these lowly shepherds. A few shepherds watching their flocks. This is who God chooses to announce the birth of His Son. Shepherds out in the field, it says in verse 8 keeping watch over their flock by night. From a worldly perspective, it seems very foolish. You have this this mission, you're sending this man, your son, to accomplish this mission, and you announce it to shepherds, shepherds in the field. They mean nothing to the world. They're nobodies. And yet this is God's plan to announce the birth of his Savior to the entire world, to these men. And lest you forget, this is the event 
The 30 years of Christ on earth is the apex event of all of human history. From the beginning to the end until he returns again. That was it. 4,000 years since the fall, man had waited for this moment. 4,000 years. The culmination of every promise to Adam, to Abraham, to David, to Moses, to, to all the covenant promises, all the prophets. And God chose to announce this momentous event to some shepherds. The world would say this is a foolish, a foolish decision. And it's also private. It's at night. No one's around. No one's going to hear it or see it. Why did he do this? That's the question. Why? What? Why? Well, I think it shows us a few things. Number one, it shows us that God does not need us. He's sovereign over history. He's going to do what he does. His plans cannot fail. His son will be successful. He didn't need the king of Israel. The, the, the high priest, the, the Caesar, he didn't need the, the support of the rich. He needed no parade, no procession. He was going to have all the glory for his own son. Well, then why? Why did he announce it at all? Well, I think the second thing we see is that it shows his tenderness and his kindness toward normal people especially those despised and rejected by society. The Savior is announced to these shepherds. And shepherds in that day, well, it's like when, when Joseph was talking to his own family who were shepherds and they were coming to Egypt. And you remember what he told them. Tell them you're shepherds because shepherds are despised by the Egyptians. Not much had changed in the time when Christ was born. As a matter of fact, we know by extra biblical literature that the rabbis at that time were debating exactly how in Psalm 23, David could say by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the Lord is our shepherd. They, it didn't make sense to them. To them, it sounded like something maybe the Lord is our hobo or you know, something bad. Like they, they, they couldn't wrap their brains around it. How, how could God say, or David say that it, God, Yahweh, was his shepherd? It sounded blasphemous to their ears. Such was the despising of shepherds in the day. So we see, I think, a little bit of God's tenderness toward those who were despised in the world by choosing these shepherds, these people who were nobodies, to bring the good news. But I think thirdly, we also see a sweet remembrance of the, the description of the relationship between God and his people that's found throughout the scripture as a shepherd and his sheep. He always describes his people as his sheep, the sheep of his hand. Psalm 100. Psalm 23. Indeed, the greatest men of the Old Testament were shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. After he left Egypt, he was a shepherd for 40 years. He took care of sheep. David, King David, was a shepherd. And the word in Luke chapter 2, the Greek word for shepherd is the same exact word that's translated pastor. Your pastor is a shepherd. 
And the shepherd of shepherds is Jesus Christ, the good and great shepherd. So in summary, the audience of this announcement, these poor, lowly, despised men, these shepherds, sleeping outside with these stinky sheep, may not be what we would have chosen for such a a wonderful announcement that would change all of human history. But God's ways are not our ways, and God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And he chooses the foolishness of this world to shame the wise. The weakness of God is stronger than men. Calvin says that God's announcement to these shepherds was meant to cast down the pride of the world so that none of us would have any reason or excuse not to come, not to follow these poor, dung-covered shepherds to the feet of Jesus and worship the newborn king. So that's the audience. But regardless of the audience, what an announcement. What an announcement it was. Verse 9 says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. No one had seen an angel in Israel before this year since Zechariah, 500 years before that. 500 years. I mean, the Bible spans such a long period of time, over 4,000 years, that it's easy for us to go, oh, 500 years, that's just a couple pages. And indeed it is, but 500 years. It would be the same as 1522. That's the last time we heard from an angel. And really that's the last, after Malachi, it was 400 years of no contact from God at all. No one had heard from God. No prophets. They had his word. But no prophets had come until John the Baptist And then all of a sudden, when Christ is born, angels start appearing. Just a moment on angels. They're real, first of all. The spiritual world is real. Angels are real. They're rational beings. They can think. They're spirits. Not bodies, but spirits, although they come. They can assume bodies. They're very unique beings. So at various times in scriptures, we see them assuming bodies. Dead people don't go to heaven and become angels, despite what you might think after watching It's a Wonderful Life. Clarence, if he died as a man, he's a man forever. But they're unique spiritual beings created by God to do his will. It seems like there was a period of probation at one time where angels could go left or right. And after some of the angels fell at It seems that that probation has ended. And now those angels who serve God cannot fall. They serve God forever. So much so that Jesus says in the prayer he taught his disciples that we should do his will as the angels do in heaven. They always do his will. They're heavenly beings. And they always do the will of God. They're not to be worshipped, but they are fearful, fearful creatures. Often they're sent in judgment. They're sent to destroy armies. They're sent to protect. But often we see angels in the Old Testament coming with a message of judgment. So these glorious, powerful, wonderful beings, 
that God has created to do his will as his messengers, most often when they show up in the Bible, they're so terrifying that men fall down as if they're dead. They come from the throne of God with the glory of God about them. Add to that, they're majestic in their being and they're terrifying. So we're not surprised that when the angels appear to these shepherds in the middle of the night, I mean, imagine it. Just put yourself in the page for a moment. You're doing what you do. You're sleeping. You're watching watching sheep. You're making sure that a wolf doesn't come or that this one doesn't stray away or that they're all together. You're looking out for this little one who has a hurt foot or... You're doing what shepherds do, and it's late at night, and it's probably not enjoyable. And then, bam, there's this bright light as an angel appears. That's what happened to these men. And they thought they were going to die. As the glorious splendor of heavenly light shone all around them, they were filled with great fear. You remember when the Roman guards who were supposed to guard the tomb of Christ, when they saw the angel, they fell down as if they were dead. It's, it's typical. This is what happens. They're filled with great fear. So if you ever see an angel and he doesn't say, fear not, you should be scared. Because that's the first thing that a good angel I mean, angels are good. It's the first thing that an angel will say to you if he's not coming in judgment is fear not. In other words, I'm not coming to destroy you. Don't be afraid. Fear not. It's verse 10. Fear not. The first words out of his mouth. Usually the first words out of an angel's mouth if he's not going to kill you. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. This is the good and great news that this angel came to proclaim. These shepherds should be afraid. Calvin makes the the point that the fear that's on the shepherds is a good thing because it, it puts them in the right frame of mind to receive the Word of God. And we should receive the Word of God, the preached Word of God, the Word of God when you read it. There should be a measure of fear. This is God's Word. You should be in a, in, a, in a state of reverence for God's word. But if they were so afraid that they couldn't actually listen, they needed comfort. So God provides comfort to them as well by saying, don't be afraid, fear not. I'm not here to kill you. Rather, I'm here to bring you good news of great joy. This is a proclamation of, this, of the coming and come Messiah. And I like that, that phrase, good tidings of great joy, good news of great joy. Based on what we've talked about already, is that not a huge understatement? All of human history is waiting for this moment, and the angel says, I bring you good tidings of great joy. I mean, when, when God told the prophets about the destruction he was going to bring on Jerusalem, remember the, the words he uses? It's, it's like... I'm going to tell you something that will, will make the ears of anyone who hears it tingle. 
I mean, I would expect something like that from the angel. And maybe in his inflection and in his voice, maybe just the fact that he was saying it, the exclamation was understood. But just reading the words, it seems like an understatement if there ever was one. J.C. Rao writes, The spiritual darkness which had covered the earth for 4,000 years was about to be rolled away. The way to pardon and peace with God was about to be thrown open to all mankind. The head of Satan was about to be bruised. Liberty was about to be proclaimed to the captives. The recovering of sight to the blind. The mighty truth was about to be proclaimed that God could be just and yet for Christ's sake justify the ungodly. Salvation was no longer to be seen through types and figures, but openly, face to face. The knowledge of God was no longer confined to the Jews, but offered to the entire world. The days of heathenism were numbered. In short, after 4,000 years, those who dwelled in darkness had seen a great light. This was the good tidings of great joy. And the word good news, by the way, is the same word, root word for gospel. The good news, the gospel. And what good news it is. So I want just to, to step back again with you and remember that the angel comes and he's proclaiming this wonderful news to shepherds. So with that in mind, look at the words that the angel says. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. The you in these verses are just these three or four shepherds. They are the you. I bring you, shepherds, you, good news of great joy. For unto you is born this day. Remember, they're the only ones there listening. It's these, these couple shepherds. Unto you is born this day. This is a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. So what do we learn from that? God sent these words of good news and great joy specifically to these individual shepherds. The greatest story in the world. The biggest story in the history of the world. And the angel brought this good message for them, individually, for them, to them. The baby in the manger was a sign for them. Them. They personally needed to go and worship. They would find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. The promised Messiah, the King of the universe, was being announced to them. It was for them, these lowly shepherds. And not just for the shepherds, this good news was for the Jewish people, of course. And in God's providence, the baby in the manger is for everyone in the world. And because he's for the shepherds, because the baby was for them, he's also for each one of us. It reminds us of Isaiah 9, doesn't it? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. 
The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All of that for us. All of that for those shepherds. It was all fulfilled in the birth of Christ. The angel says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ our Lord. That verse has so much packed into it. It's for them, it's for the shepherds, indeed for all of us. But at that moment, it's for the shepherds. Unto you is born a Savior. So no matter who he is, if he didn't actually save them, it would be pointless. The good news without a Savior for you means nothing to you. But he was born to save you, the angel says to these shepherds. Savior. He's in the city of David in Bethlehem. The angel references David for a reason. This is the covenant promise, the covenant king. This is Jesus. Now for 500, well, by this time, almost 600 years, there had been no king in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was destroyed. It seemed as if all the promises of a coming king, the promises to Abraham, the promises to, to David, had come to an end. Was, was God really going to fulfill these promises to bring a king? Certainly it, it had all come to an end. It's been 600 years. We have no king. We're slaves to the Roman Empire. And the angel says, no, he's in the city of David. This is the king. This is the one. Joseph and Mary probably were both descendants of David. The kingly line had been preserved throughout the generations, as you read in Matthew and Luke. The kingly line had been preserved Jesus is from that line. He's a descendant of David. This is the Messiah, you shepherds. Your king is here. Your savior. The long-awaited savior. The fulfillment of all covenant promises has come. So, he's no ordinary baby. He's the savior. He's Christ. That's a title as well, Christ is Christos in Greek. It's Messiah in Hebrew. It just is Messiah. He's the Messiah. He's the long-awaited Messiah. The fulfillment of all the Israelite expectations and promises. And he's Lord. Lord just says master. He's the Lord, the master, the ruler, the owner. And I'm telling you, shepherds, that this king, this heir of David, this savior, this Messiah, this Lord, is born this day. How special they must have felt. The angel is there talking to them. Light is all around them. And the news, the long-awaited Messiah has come. These men were Jews too. And then the angel kind of helps their faith. If you had heard this glorious announcement, you probably would not expect to find the king in a feeding trough. So the angel helps them by telling them, this is a sign for you. You're going to find him in a feeding trough. 
It seems so unnatural and wrong. It seems so humble and meek. It seems so accessible. It seems as if anyone could just come and, and see him. It seems as if, as if even the animals could just look over where they usually eat and, and see their creator laying there. But the angel says, this is a sign for you. In other words, this should help your faith. This should help you knowing that I've told you exactly what will happen when you see this baby there in the feeding trough. You'll know that it is true what I've told you. And then we see the heavenly host. And suddenly there was an angel and a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. As if this event were not already set apart by God as, as special and different. God is making sure that for all history, everyone knows this is the defining moment of history. My son has come. And we see angels doing something on earth that they've never done before. The heavens are burst open. And there's the whole host. The army is what that word means. The whole army of angels. These same angels that were helping Elisha. These angels show up in the sky. So when you see some of the, the paintings of this event, usually you see like, I don't know, 30 or 40 angels, like a church choir in heaven. And I know the artists are trying, and I'm not upset about that. But this is a whole army. In my mind, this is more like an army of, like, you remember in the movie The Return of the King, if you've seen it, there's the charge of the Rohirrim. This is a, a giant army. You see thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of soldiers standing in ranks. Imagine that without horses and their angels. You can't imagine how many angels they're looking at in the heavens. In Revelation 5, it's described the number of angels as myriads upon myriads, 10,000 times 10,000. The angels are everywhere, crashing down upon the earth with joyful singing and praising God. This event was the one thing that could bring them to, to worship, to sing praise. They're worshiping their commander. The commander of the armies of the Lord is laying in the manger and they came to announce Him and to worship Him. The Creator had come as a baby. God had become man. More accurately, God had clothed Himself with His humanity. And the angels praised God. So in conclusion, look at their praise. Verse 14, their praise is glory to God in the highest. They're thanking God and they're praising God. And peace on earth. This is a cosmic peace. This is a peace between God and man, broken since the fall. This is Jacob's ladder, connecting God with man in perfect communion because of Christ. This is the shalom that's only possible in Jesus. 
And then he says, and peace among those with whom he is pleased, or more traditionally, goodwill toward men. This goodwill toward men is only with those toward whom he is pleased. In other words, if you reject the baby, if you reject Jesus, then there will be no goodwill. But then the angels went to heaven, and the shepherds, they respond as we are all to respond to Jesus, to go and worship him. They find him. They believe what has been said about him, just as we believe everything that's written about him. And then they worship their Messiah. God chose these particular shepherds to be the recipients of this wonderful news. And the real wonder is that he chose each one of you to be recipients of this wonderful news. So give praise to God as the angels did. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much for your mercy to us. We thank you that you have broken through into your creation. That you have shattered the darkness with your light. That you have sent your only Son to restore fellowship between God and man. We pray that the wonder of this announcement would imprint our own souls, that our hearts would be changed, that we would see the the same wonder in your work in our own lives, now and forevermore because of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Would you please